podcast about home building from the ground up. Buying a house can feel very overwhelming, and building a house can be even more challenging. But we're here to help. Throughout this series, we'll be interviewing realtors, builders, developers, lenders, and anyone else involved in the home building process. After listening to this series, you should have the right tools and knowledge for the next steps needed to build the home that you've always dreamed of. Have you ever wondered what it takes to develop land? We're going to answer that question and many more questions about the development and home building process with our guest today, Kirby Christian. Kirby, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. All right, and we're going to kick it off right away. Um, Kirby, how did you first get involved at the Ranch Club? Um, I, I knew about the Ranch Club for quite a while before I got involved, um, but Russ Piazza, who's one of my partners, approached me in 2013, said that there might be an investment opportunity there. Uh, we actually didn't get it done in 2013, but we were able to reach a, an agreement with the owners at that time in 2015. Where was the Ranch Club at when you came in? So most of the heavy lifting had been done. Um, the Entitlements had been received, and um, most of the engineering work had been done. So there was probably, I'm thinking back, maybe five phases completed at that oh, time. Okay. And five so out of how many? Out of 11. Okay. Yeah. And have they capped it off at 11 now, or are they still continuing to want to expand? So 11 is, is what's approved. Okay. It doesn't mean that there couldn't be modifications, but we don't have an intention of doing that right now. What was your initial reaction? What what made you want to get involved? You know, it, it was clear that there had been a lot of investment dollars put into the project, so my initial reaction was financially driven. It seemed like it was going to be a good financial investment. But as I've gotten to know it, I mean, it's a great community. It's one of the few areas in Missoula that actually is a golf community, and so, and I like golf, so that was probably part of my initial interest in it. <laughs> Uh, I could see I could see why you'd want to go there. When I drive out there and I check it out, it's just such a cool little community. And not even that small anymore. It continues to grow. No, it's getting it is getting quite large, and it really is becoming a community. I mean, it's got all all age groups out there. Um, pretty close knit group of people, and uh, it's it's a really fun place to live. So, how long have you been in Missoula then? I uh, came to college in Missoula in 1980. Oh, really? Yep. You went uh, UM grad? I was. I was actually born in Missoula. Oh, really? My dad moved up to Polson, practiced law, and did land development up there. And I came down to college and, other than a couple of years away, pretty much didn't leave. What made you want to get into the the building industry or, you know, that field? Yeah, so, you know, I just have always been in it. Um, my family... Um, has been in it for lots of years. My grandfather was involved in real estate. My dad was involved in it. But when I was 16, uh, my dad did a subdivision outside of Polson called Jetty Lake. And my brother and I were involved in the actual physical end of it. We put in most of the roads and water systems and infrastructure when I was in uh, high school. Really? With assistance, obviously. But it was fun. That's an undertaking as yeah. a high schooler. Yeah. That's some great experience. It was great experience. Um, so... Fast forward a few years, um, where was your career path kind of heading after after college? Yeah, so I, I graduated with a finance degree and I went into law school. And when I came out of law school, um, I obviously had an interest in real estate, real estate practice, but um, Barb and I were married at that time and we purchased some land in the Rattlesnake. 
and it went through a major rezoning master plan um, process. So I learned a lot about sort of the entitlement process and did a five lot subdivision myself up there with the property that oh, we purchased. Wow. So yeah. you've mentioned the word entitlement a couple of times. For those listening that don't know what that means, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Sure. Um, when you purchase a bare piece of ground, there's a process that you have to go through and, and you look at a lot of things. First, you you purchase it and look at the title to the property itself, make sure there's no private restrictions between the former owner or past owners and on what can be done with the property. Does that is that an issue sometimes? Yeah. Where like past owners are like, no, you can't put an apartment here. Yep, it is. Um, more, I guess probably what would be more usual would be that it's it's already been divided once, and so you can't do more than three units, or you can't do more than two. But, but there are restrictions on land. Sometimes there's issues regarding how you can get to it. Is there adequate access to allow you to do what you want to do? So, you look at that on the private level first, and then you start the public process of getting a subdivision approved. And so, when I use the word entitlement, it it basically is you know we've went through a, either a master planning effort or a, a zoning effort or a combination of both and we've received the right to do certain things with the land. And yet, do you have to do that within a certain period of time? Uh, generally. Yeah. Usually uh, after you get approval you need to complete uh, your your subdivision or your your exempt uh, division within probably two years. And what's an exempt division? So there's there's exemptions to subdivision. There's a real formal process and then if it's a smaller development um, there's there's exemptions. So, for instance, if you owned a piece of property and you wanted to give a tract to one of your children, there's a process that would allow you to split that without going through a formal subdivision review. Oh, okay. Um, there's also, if you have certain zoning rights, there's uh, processes where you could do what's called a townhome exemption and create um, a number of parcels without going through some of the formality of a subdivision as well. So that saves a little bit of time. Correct. Cool. So I guess some random, well, not really random, but I was driving out towards uh, Chief Joseph Pass a couple weekends ago, um, and I was like, all this sprawling farmland. What if I wanted to take a little chunk of this guy's farmland and build a house on it, and he, and he was willing to sell it to me? Um, what are like the first how do you approach somebody if you're like, I'd like to build a house on your farmland. Are you willing to sell it to me? Right. <clears throat> so part of that is is just the the realtor end of, of the world, or if you don't want to use a realtor, just approaching the person. But, you know, depending on how much you wanted to do and, and how much you wanted to know before you made that offer, you could go to the county websites. It's uh, There's a cadastral website. See if it's uh, land that they've designated as being development friendly, a place where you could actually split an acre or two off or whether they're a, it's a larger parcel area. And then you'd have a better idea of, of what you would approach the farmer with. Yeah, it, it seems kind of scary when you're like, oh, this guy has you know 6,000 acres of land and is he willing to part ways with one acre of it so I can build a little house on it or? Right. <laughs> Was that kind of what how the ranch club became about? Like, was it just ran, like ranch land before and 
Yeah, so I, I don't know for sure. I, it started in about 2003, but my understanding is, is it was part of the uh, old Deshaw Ranch, and um, about 300, 400 acres was purchased, and then it started through the entitlement process and turned into a golf community. Wow. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. Um, I'm going to continue to say that. <laughs> uh, so I've heard that you're a, um, a, you have a superpower, and your superpower is cutting through red tape. Really? Yes. So it sounds like you have people that you can talk to to make sure that red tape is either cut down or you dip under it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I would say it's a superpower, but I, I would say that, you know, I've been doing it 30 plus years. You develop relationships with uh, county officials, city officials, people that make decisions. And I think as long as you approach them um, honorably and you're straightforward and you're, you're open with what you want to do, um, you can find your way through it. I think, I think probably more accurately is I know the process now. And it, uh, it, it's slow when you misstep or you go down the wrong road for a while and then you have to turn around and come back. But if you sort of know the process, you can get there fairly quickly not only sounds slow sometimes, but it could also be pretty stressful for someone that doesn't know what they're necessarily doing. Yeah, the from the developer side, it, it's as stressful as from the community side. And where it's, what, what's more stressful is when land hasn't been zoned or designated, then there's a lot of players involved that really don't know what to expect. So a developer purchases it with the expectation that they can build 100 units and the community wants 10 and the city's trying to figure out where the infrastructure is and what number works. And so that can bring a lot of emotion to the process. But if it's land that sort of went through the process or if you go through it systematically, you have a lot better idea of what you can do um, at the time that you start your development. And then maybe there's less anxiety because you're, you're not expecting to do a lot more than you can, but you're also entitled to do more than maybe what you might otherwise be able to do if it was if it was vacant land. Do you find that the further you get out of city limits, the easier it is to, you know? Ed, yes and no. I, I would say almost the opposite. The really? further you get away from city services, the harder it is to get density. Maybe the easier or less restrictive some of the steps are, but if you want to do more density, you need to have city services in order to get to those density numbers. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is like, let's say north of Sealy Lake, if you wanted to maybe start build a s small community out there. Um, I can't imagine you would have too much pushback from community members, but uh, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of electric and water lines being you know built exactly. out there, so. Exactly, so the, the community might welcome it. It might not be um, confrontational in any way from that standpoint, but if you're going to try to build those communities, you know, who's going to provide fire, who's going to provide um, health services, schools, and where do they go? How does that all impact? Um, so there's a lot of questions to be asked and answered. And all those questions need to be asked, like, no matter where you build, pretty much? They do, but when you're in a, a more established area, um, there's processes involved, right? If you're building in the Hellgate School District, you pretty much know that's where your kids are going to go to school. They do the analysis based on the availability of, of uh, or access to school there. Um, you know pretty much where the infrastructure is. You, you can have a pretty good idea where the sewer has been brought to, where the water's been brought to, whether you're doing private or public um, infrastructure. 
Yeah, it's you always. There's always a lot of pushback when it comes to new development in Missoula. Um, first thing that comes to mind is those row houses off of the uh, Clark Fork. Um, there were those decrepit old buildings. Um, some community members wanted them to be renovated, but it sounds like there's going to be you know, a whole apartment system or condo system being put in. Yeah, so there, there's there's always there's always that, right? I mean, if you're on open vacant land, you have the concerns with depleting natural resource and visual resources. If you're rebuilding in town, you have historic uh, preservation type issues and arguments. But you know, usually if you if you work through the process, you'll end up with something that's a reasonable compromise. Do you find that, like in situations like that, do you find that building new condos is better for the community or lifestyle or? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's hard to hard to answer. There's there's lots of lots of areas that need to be served, right? It's harder to renovate or to upscale um, historic buildings for, say, low-income housing. You could maybe do it for something where the dollars could be higher because it's going to cost you more to do that. Um, if you want to do low-income housing or more affordable housing, then you may need to, to build new, and you may have to be further out of town because you're not going to be able to afford the land cost to develop in town. Yeah, I was on the north side up near the train tracks, and uh, I saw that you could, they have done affordable housing up, up in that area um, on like A Street and B Street, I think it's called, just right off the interstate. And the lot sizes that they're building on nowadays are, are just tiny, wow. and they're fitting like four, five houses, apartments, condos. And it seems like infilling is a trending topic in Missoula right now. Yeah, I think because of the way Missoula is structured, it is... I mean, we have a, a limited resource for, for building. And while we were sprawling maybe in the 70s, 80s, even 90s, they're starting to kind of push toward the, the center of Missoula and to do more infill development. Why is that? Why, why are, and even like in cities like, Bo, well, Bozeman now is starting to sprawl out west and northwest towards Belgrade. Why does, why is Missoula so hesitant about more sprawling, like going out towards Frenchtown or more north? You know, I, I think, honestly, that's probably something that a planner or uh, or some of the architecture engineering firms in town could do. Um, but And probably answer better than I could. But I think, you know, in general, um, there just seems to be a trend right now to trying to preserve open spaces on the fringe and bring people more toward uh, the community center. Um, you know, that may change if we start getting higher buildings and higher rises than it may. Um, and we have been around long enough that it started with we don't really want building on the hills because we want to protect the view shed. And it moved into, geez, we don't know if we want to build on the valley floors because we're eating up all the farmland. And, you know, it's just over time, uh, I guess, attitudes toward what we want to protect change. Interesting. And the reality is um, we're growing at about 3% a year. And so those people have to go somewhere, and so they just yeah. start pushing, pushing to different areas. Yeah, it's interesting how the push and pull changes. Mm -hmm. Like every ten years, um, yep. the importance changes. Um, I I see a lot of uh, 
my my property was split in half and infilled with a large family home in the back. My our house is less than a thousand square feet, but the house behind us now, alleyway access is three thousand five hundred square feet. Yep. So they put a massive home in where there was nothing before, and it's sometimes they do it tastefully. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I've seen some good stuff, but I've definitely there's quite a few apartment buildings around town where you're like, oh, why did they have to do that? Yeah, oh, for sure. And I mean, one of the things that's neat about Ranch Club is it was a planned community when we purchased it. So there's a pretty good idea of what's going on out there. As long as we stay true to that vision, um, it's a pretty pretty easy development from that standpoint. Our previous guest, Tom Buderak, mentioned um, there could potentially be room for more growth out there. Um, do you foresee that ever happening? You know, I mean, I could see it. There's adjoining land. There's land below the golf course uh, further west. There's land to the north, although that's uh, starting to approach the airport fairly closely. Um, in the community itself, I could see maybe a little more dense um, development, um, but I I don't know that the current ownership has a, an interest right now in exploring more. We still have couple hundred units to to go there yeah I, I i was wondering if ever it's possible you know where the ranch club gets so popular and so many people live there is there ever an opportunity for there to be a like retail space in that or would that have to be properly obviously it would have to be properly zoned right um there are a few areas that that are zoned in a more commercial manner where the main clubhouse is the uh, event center some of those areas uh, could have some commercial use but uh, it would require a rezoning of some of the property in order to to allow for for uh, commercial development um, and having said that I, I have not looked at that master plan in a while so there could actually be some designated zones for that but I, I don't believe that's the case is it a painful process to rezone when it's like clearly the ranch club's already been zoned for residential um you know it it can be i think if you force things on a community it can be a painful process um i think both sides of of development have gotten a lot smarter and um uh you know what you'd do is you'd hold some some community meetings yeah sit down and say hey we're thinking about putting a little grocery store up here we think it'd be a benefit to the community. What do you think? And you get some dialogue, and you can usually tell fairly early on whether that's going to be something that's supported or whether that's a bad idea. Have you ever been in any situations where the community thought it was a bad idea, but you thought it was for the best? So on a personal level, I'm, I've not actually found myself in that role, but I'm also a land use attorney, and I have definitely been uh, – involved in in those situations as an attorney uh, where where we had a a solid development plan but there was strong opposition for one reason or the other and we ended up in a more controversial uh, development than what we'd expected going in what was the biggest have you ever had any big dreams dashed because they were denied by community members or red tape you you know I, i i haven't Candidly, I, uh, um, I've had projects go in a little different direction, end up maybe smaller than I thought or maybe bigger, uh, more infrastructure than we intended to put in or maybe less. But I've, I've not had any of them just uh, uh, completely shot down. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a, they 
you know, plans can kind you, they should expect them to change. Yeah, I think when you go into this process, you, you need to have a really good team, um, good engineers, good land use planners, uh, legal counsel, a good plan, um, and you need to be flexible because it isn't going to be, I mean, you can try to force it through as a developer exactly the way you want it to be, but the reality is it needs to be a, a win-win for the community and the project or it's going to be a struggle. What's the time frame on that from like, let's say you found a property that you want to develop on. From finding that property until let's say the water lines are put in, roads are paved, how long can you expect that to take? Yep, so um, two, two answers to that. Back to your, your original premise, which there's a lot of infill. If the infrastructure is in the arterials and you've got water, sewer, and power in the city streets, and you're taking a two-acre tract and trying to do three or four or five lots, that would be probably done through an exemption of one sort or the other. would take somewhere between four and eight months. Oh, okay. Um, subdivisions of the scope and size of Ranch Club, even if you use a larger, like, townhome exemption, probably nine months to 18 months, okay. somewhere in there. So not that's not as long as I expected. Right. I, and it has a little bit to do um, with where you're at. I mean, if you've got underlying zoning and master planning, it can go quicker. If right. you're starting from square one, it could it could be 18 to two years too, 18 yeah. months to two years. So kind of a little bit of a spinoff of a question I asked previously, like how far have you seen someone go to get what they wanted? In, in which, uh, in what area? Uh, maybe for build, like development? Um, you know, again, I, I think one of the reasons that I've been able to, to do what I can do in this area is I really haven't had anybody that just was really on the fringe that we represented, and we've tried not to get there to where we're just so far uh, one direction or the other that, that it's just an unreasonable position. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, other than things ending up in litigation because the two sides can't can't cooperate or can't get along, I've really not had anything that blew up or was real exciting in that regard. <laughs> that's good. That's a good. Uh, that's good. That's not bad. <laughs> so what what's a what are some questions that I haven't asked you that you wish developers or home builders would? Well, I, th I think, um, you know, you're, you were talking a little bit about what you need to know when you develop land. And I think you, you need to have a little idea of what you want to accomplish as a developer, uh, what you're trying to, to do, a, a vision of where you're going. And then I think you need to have the right team assembled so that you can get that done. But you need to go in with it with flexibility. You need to be well-funded um, yeah. because it's, it's going to cost some money to get where you want to go. Um, but I think more, more importantly is, you know, what kind of community are you trying to develop? And I think one of the neat things about Ranch Club is it, it not only caters to an, an aging population, but it also is attractive to a younger population. Um, it's just, it's a really diverse neighborhood that offers an awful lot. Um, I think from, from the standpoint of what builders would ask is, you know, every site has some constraints mm -hmm. and, and issues. And so... Um, at Ranch Club, one of the things that we do have is clay soils. And so when they're building at Ranch Club, there's a lot of resources available 
on how to do that appropriately out there. Make sure that drainage is uh, is right, that you don't have settling and things like that. And so, on that particular project, um, that's the one question that I I always try to get out in front of people is, hey, make sure you get a geotech and you understand what you're doing and you put your irrigation in right so that you don't have problems with with what you've built. That is another thing I noticed that the ranch club with their um, vacant lots right now is they're all very different. Um, in terms of the shape of land that you're building on. Yep. Um, there's not too many that are the same, except the ones that are like right next to each other. But some on, on I think, I believe it was Bunkhouse, uh, the land drops up, kind of drops off towards the back. So you, that's, you when you're looking at the house, it looks like a one-story house, but in the back, it's almost two to three stories. Yep. Um, so getting a Getting a good set of plans, um, getting a good architect to help design those homes, you know, really helps. And that, that is one thing that we have tried to do out there is we have uh, four stock house plans that if you, uh, you know, want to build uh, with one of the builders that, that we're working with in one of the lots where we're actually specking homes, uh, a lot of that work's been done. So we have some house plans that work on on uh, sloping lots. We have house oh, plans wow. that work on, on more level lots because that can be a pretty daunting long process if you're starting from scratch there as well off the top of your head do you know how many plans people have to choose from with us yeah um we probably have five stock plans but okay. with uh, uh adding uh, a second lower a uh, second story changing from a two car to a three car i mean we could probably take those five plans with uh, very little effort from our uh, architecture crew and turn those into maybe 10 to 15. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So if someone doesn't want to do every step along the way, uh, along the home building process, there are options for them. Yeah, we've tried. Um, I mean, there's a number of options, but we've tried to make it as easy as possible. If you want to start from scratch, hire your own uh, architect, your own builder, build your dream home, that's available out there. If you want to design a home but have uh, one of the builders that, that we associate with build your home, you can do that. If you really just want to pick the furnishings inside the home and kind of be to participate in finishing the home, we yeah. have plans that you can do that. So there's, you know, we're trying to make it a little easier if we can. Very accessible. Yep. That's awesome. Uh, one. Last question I have for that we've been asking all of our guests is, what is one common mistake that you see when people are building a house from the ground up? I would say starting the process um, unprepared for what it is. It's it's it it takes patience. You need to be um, you need to have a good team and you need to understand that it's going to take a while and it's also going to there's a lot of expensive decisions yeah. and so sort of being prepared for that decision process and trying to stay within that budget because there are just so many neat options all the way through it it's like oh do we do the fireplace that faces both directions and those are all you know two three thousand dollar decisions you make about 10 or 15 of those and your house is a lot more expensive <laughs> yeah. than where you started so. <laughs> that's great um, so 
a team. Um, I, I before we sign off, I do want to I do want to cover the most important players of the team. Um, you mentioned, well, for when it comes to uh, um, development, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned a. If you could list off the team, that'd sure. be great. Yeah. So, you know, you're going to start with uh, a vacant piece of property, um, and you're going to need to have some ideas of what you want to do there. So, initially, you're going to you're going to need some title work done. Um, there's three or four good title companies in town that you can get that information from. Um, and th- would th- this person be your title title partner throughout? Yeah, they they could be, or you could go back and forth. But that's that's where it starts for me. And then you're going to need either a land use attorney or a land use planner that can sort of start helping you navigate the the city or county uh, government structure to kind of work your way through that. You will need an engineer um, and there's you know there's a number of engineering firms that we've worked with that are that are very good in Missoula. And they'll ensure they, water. They, they basically do the design so okay. after you kind of have the general layout from the land use planner um, they'll start with infrastructure concerns and say, you know, you're going to need sewer and water, and we're going to put those in the streets here, and this is where the streets are going to go, those okay. types of things. Um, and then after you get through all of that, you're, you're going to need architects to help you design the structures and buildings if you're going to build yourself, or at least uh, uh, some good people to refer people to to help them draw and and uh, get their homes approved. And then a, a realty company um, that can market for you and and get your product out to the market in a in a favorable light so cool yep awesome well i think that's going to do it for us today kirby thank you so much for joining us here on foundation um really appreciate you uh taking the time nope it was enjoyable thank you all right thanks kirby thanks for tuning in to foundation if you like what you heard you can listen to our past episodes by searching Foundation Pintler Group on Google. You can also search Foundation on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts.